All right, we are in the Steadfast series, Steadfast Faith for Trying Times. We are marching through the book of James. We are at James chapter 5, verse 12. So open up your Bibles, open up your apps, open up your iPads, whatever it is, get to the right place. James chapter 5, verse 12, one verse for today. Now, some people take James chapter 5, verse 12, and they put it together with verses 7 through 12. And others will take it and treat it alone. Some will put it in what comes next as sort of an introduction. I'm treating it alone. But I don't want you to take the fact that I'm treating this alone as an exegetical statement of summary of the book. I'm treating this alone as a pastoral statement. Because I believe our culture, in fact, I believe most of us, one of the things we struggle with the most is honesty. I I don't even mean that we intend to lie So much so as I mean that we are careless with our words in ways that get us in trouble. And we live in a society that actually expects you to lie. When you go out into the world, there are structures put in place that are there because they expect everybody in society to tell lies. So as Christians, as followers of Christ, we need to make sure that we are completely truthful. Uh, I titled this sermon, and I don't even know why, Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. Has anybody ever heard that before? Come on. There's like three of you raising your hand. How many of you? Okay. All right. Let me start off with an illustration. Just get us all into it. I remember very vividly lying as a child. Uh, The one that catches my mind more than any other is the time that I knocked a glass off in the kitchen and it broke. Now, I I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just in the kitchen and I, I, I reached to grab something and with the arm as I turned around, I hit the glass. The glass goes flying off the counter. The glass breaks in the middle of the kitchen floor. It was iced tea. It was southern iced tea with like sugar this thick in the bottom of it that went and spilled everywhere into the floor, right? Brand new glass. I had just poured it. I remember it vividly and my mom walks into the room and my mom says, what happened? Is there anything wrong with me saying to my mom, hey, mom, I accidentally knocked the glass off and it broke. I'm really sorry. I'll help clean it up. That's the right answer, right? But what did I do in my sinful nature? I said, I don't know. I was just standing here and it fell off. (laughs) Now, how many of you have done that before? It may not be with a glass of tea, but it may be with something else. Like, for example, last week when I walked into my son's room and his picture frame was apart and the glass was over here and the back was over here and the picture was over here and the frame was here. And I said, what happened to this? And he's like, I don't know. It came apart. Like this frame all of a sudden came to life and decided it was going to unpart itself and go into different pieces everywhere. And here looks a five-year-old and today, I don't care what he was doing with it. I'm happy he was playing with it. He's figuring out how it works, right? Take things apart, figure out how to put them back together. Usually can't get them back together, but that's okay. It's part of the engineering learning process, right? That's why we have Legos. Yeah. How many of you have done that with me? All right, I've done it before. And then you, it's all taken apart. You've got all these marks over it. It's obvious. I messed it up. Dad comes in, what happened? I don't know. It just, it, it just popped apart. It's just there. I mean, am I alone? How many of you? Go ahead, raise your hand. Don't lie in chapel. All right, raise your hand. Okay. All right. So here's why this is important. We all struggle with it to one degree or another. You know, I, I am thankful that I married somebody that is as honest as the day is long. Like, she's so honest, don't ask for an opinion if you don't want the honest truth, right? So even if everybody else wants to tell me things I want to hear, I know I can go home and say, how was that? And she'll look me right in the eye and go, that was awful. I mean, it's truth. She usually does it nicer than that. But it's truth. And here we live in a society 
where I just Googled a few statistics. Boston Globe study says 75% of all college students admit to cheating. 75%. Now, that number's not that high at Cedarville, but we're not immune to the temptation. Neither are we immune to the problem. We know that, and you know that. You look at other statistics, and it'll say 60% of all people will tell a lie in a 10-minute conversation. Okay, now, I pray we're not that bad, and I don't think we are. But if in a 10-minute conversation, 60% of the people in the world will tell you a lie, there is a temptation for us to do something similar as well. This struggle began in Genesis chapter 3 when the devil said, you will surely not die, and it has kept going forward as John chapter 8 verse 44 tells us that the devil is a liar and he is the father of lies and he has multiplied himself on this earth and it has become such a problem in society that we even create fables to help us learn to be an honest culture. I think about the one about George Washington who chopped down his father's cherry tree. How many of you have heard about that one? George Washington got a new hatchet, chopped into his father's cherry tree. Some say he chopped it down. Some say he just made a mark on it. His father comes home. It's his father's favorite cherry tree. His father looks at George and he says, George, what happens? And supposedly George replies back and says what? I cannot tell a lie. I chopped down your cherry tree or I cut it with my hatchet. Guess what? That story's a lie. Did you know that? That story didn't happen. In fact, that story, to the best of my ability to research it over the past week, came in the fifth edition of a book, a biography about George Washington that was not in the first four editions of the biography. It was made popular by somebody traveling with a circus that was a slave woman. They pretended to be George Washington's caretaker or something and told the story to make it famous in popular culture. But you want to know who spread the lie about George Washington being honest? It was an itinerant preacher by the name of Parson Weems. So let me get this right. Our society lies so much that we need stories to help us not lie. So an itinerant preacher makes up a lie to tell us about how we shouldn't lie in society about George Washington and how he was an honest person. Do you think we have a problem with lying? This is where we are. James chapter 5, verse 12. Stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Dear Lord, through careless words, through prideful conversation, sometimes even through intentional deceit, Lord, we are often tempted to tell lies. So, Lord, today I pray that you would help, help us to catch a glimpse of what James is after and what you yourself were after in the words we have recorded in Matthew. And, Lord, help us to be a people of integrity, a people of honesty, a, peace, a people who are trustworthy, and that that may be our witness to the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. One verse. Let's walk through it and then apply it to our lives. He says, but above all. The above all here. I do not take to mean that this is the most important thing in the entire letter. I mean, think about the things that we've gone through in the book of James. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Submit your will to the will of the Father. 
remain unstained from the world, love others. All of these are very important things. And so I do not believe by above all, he means that it's the most important part. Some of the commentators will say that above all is a transitionary literary device that's used as he's moving into the conclusion of the letter, but, but propanton in the Greek is not used as the conclusion of any other letter. So this would be an isolated case where this is the only use of it in that particular scenario. So perhaps what James is doing here is he really is connecting this to verses 7 through 11. He really is talking about our speech. We are not to be disgruntled. We are not to grumble about others. We are not to complain about others. We are to be patient in suffering. And part of being patient in suffering is to be patient and accurate in our speech. So above all, in everything that you say, let's make sure that our yes is yes and our no is no and that we have honesty and integrity in our speech. Above all, my brothers, you notice his tone here. He's not condemning us as he did the wicked rich. Uh, he's not in a tone that is, is harsh. He is back to the, to the my brothers as he has continued that throughout the book. And so, again, his tone here is one of love. It's one of those whom are not the worst, uh, but it's one of those where we all struggle with issues. And so he's admonishing us, brothers, come on, let's be honest. Let's be truthful in what we do. And he says here, above all, my brothers, do not swear. Straightforward. James doesn't beat around the bush. He tells us what we should do and how we should do it. And he says to us, do not swear. Now, by do not swear, James is not saying using foul, vulgar, filthy language. But let's be clear. He's also not saying that's okay. He's talking about swearing that guarantees truth. But we understand that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if the words that come out of your mouth are vile, filthy, vulgar words... It shows that what's in your heart is vile, filthy, and vulgar. If the words that come out of your mouth are hate-filled words of anger and rage, it shows that what is in your heart is hate-filled anger and rage. If an anti-authoritarianism constantly comes out of your mouth, it shows and reveals to you what's in your heart. It's actually a grace and mercy of the Lord that he allows our speech to come from our heart so that we hear the words we say, and in our minds we know we can judge by what we say as to what the true condition of our heart is. We know that Ephesians 4.29 tells us, let no corrupting speech come forth from your mouth, but only that is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So test your words. James here says, above all, my brothers, do not swear. Do not give an oath that says this is true. So think about it this way. If this stage, all the way from one end to the other end, are all of the words out of my mouth, and I tell you, all of the words from this point across to this point behind the pulpit, these words are true, but if I happen to drift outside here, then I might be ministerially speaking. You know, isn't it bad that we even have a category for when we exaggerate in stories that we tell as we speak to others and preach to others? Evangelistically speaking, ministerially speaking. Now, if I told you that these words could be trusted, but those maybe not, so I have an oath that as long as I'm here, trust me. But if I'm out here, I don't know, you better go to Google and check it, right? What does that cause in your mind? He's not a trustworthy person. If I make an oath that says a certain portion is true, but another portion is not, there's two problems with that oath. And this is why we as believers should not swear, but our yes should be yes and our no should be no. If a portion of my speech, of all the speech I do, if I quadrant off one section of it and I say, this is true, 
I swear this by an oath. I swear to you. I promise to you I'm doing this. God is my witness. I'll do this on my mother's grave. All of these things, I pinky swear, all of these cultural contexts of this portion of my speech, it means I'm a double-minded person because the rest of my speech may or may not be true. In fact, it means I don't even really seek to make sure it's completely accurate, except for in the portion that I promised to you or swore to you about. James has already condemned double-mindedness in chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8 as well. We are not to be double-minded people. We should not think about our speech and say, well, if I promise, then I have to keep it. But if I don't promise, I can fudge on the truth. There's another problem with this. The swearing creates an expectation of lies. We live in a culture where they expect you to tell a lie. That's why when you go before Congress, they swear you in. When you go before the judge, you're sworn in. If you give false testimony before a judge and you have violated the law and you have perjured yourself, then there is a penalty. Why is it that society knows we lie so much that we have to make you take an oath on the Bible, typically, to say that you're going to tell the truth? It's because there's an expectation of lies. And here James is saying to us, brothers and sisters in the Christian church, in the evangelical world, at a Christian university, it should not be so. It should not be that we have to say this is true. It should be that everything is true. All of the words that come out of our mouth have the intent of being accurate, of being honest, of being true. So do not swear, period. He elaborates. Do not swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. If I don't tell the truth in everything, how is it that my gospel witness is going to be believed? How is it that I'm going to be a faithful ambassador of Jesus Christ? How is it that I testify to the mercies of the gospel and people believe me if they know me not to be a person of the truth? Our testimony is at stake. I have heard tales of days where a man's handshake and his word was all you needed, and I seek to live by that, but I have never lived in those days. We live in the days where person-to-person communication is caveated by promising or swearing or vowing. We live in the days where people will join together and take marriage vows and yet then divorce at rates that are increasingly high, so high, in fact, that now many people don't even take the marriage vows. They just move in together because the marriage vows makes it more difficult to break up and they have no intention of being with that person for the rest of their life. That is not Christian behavior. We live in a society where even at Christian institutions like ours, We give out contracts because there has been such distrust, such deception, such questioning that it has become the culture of society to give a contract and be bound to a contract. I long for a day. I'm not changing anything today. I long for a day, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, where people say, we don't need contracts. We just need to say, yes, I want to be here. And yes, we're going to be here. We don't need to have contracts among Christian brothers. We have handshakes. We have agreements. Our word is our bond. And we don't need to go through all of the language that it takes to put in something that nobody can understand except the lawyers who wrote it. That's the type of society James is appealing for. True honesty, true character, True compassion to love one another. 
Let's be people who are honest husbands and wives who stick together through hard times, who are honest fathers and mothers, who are wise in what they tell their children. Let's be workers who are honest and have integrity at the office so that we stand apart and so that all of the people that tell the lies look out and they point and they don't like it because the light is shining so bright of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the sin becomes so apparent in context. That's what I long for. Not only in my own life, but for all of us to be that committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. James here is merely teaching what Jesus has already taught us. There's a comparison that I have to show you between Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 through 37. I'm going to have him put it for you up here on the screen. You look at James chapter 5, verse 12. It's on the right. Matthew chapter 5 is on the left. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. James says, do not swear. Jesus says, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. James says, either by heaven or by earth, for it is his footstool. James says, or by earth or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for who cannot make one, you cannot make one hair white or black. James just says, by any other oath. He's got the shorter version. Let what you say simply be yes or no. James says, let your yes be yes or your no be no. Anything more than this comes from evil, James says, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You see, simply here's repeating Jesus. If we were to look at a larger statement of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 through 24, Jesus there is addressing what's happening in culture. In that culture, people would say, if I'm going uh, to swear by one thing, but not the other, then I can get away with it. I only have to be honest if I'm very specific in what I swear by. And they made a game out of it. James, uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 16, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. If anybody swears by the temple, he can lie. But if anybody swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Jesus again says to them in verse 18, and if anyone says, swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if you swear by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. So they were swearing by the altar, but lying. But if they swore by the gift, they would keep their promise. And in verse 19, it says, you blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits upon it. James was saying what Jesus had said before. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now we have to ask a question here historically. Does this mean that James rules out all oaths? Well, if you look at the modern commentators, they all will caveat this and say, absolutely not. James is not saying don't take an oath. If you go to before court, James is saying that that's, that's not what he's talking about. He's just talking about honesty. Uh, but that's historically not always been the case. If you look back through history, you'll quickly see that some, including the Anabaptists, the Mennonites, and the Quakers, would refuse to take an oath in court because they believed that James and Jesus before him were saying, do not swear an oath at all. In fact, Menno Simon says this, I'm quoting here. If you fear the Lord and are asked to swear, continue in the Lord's word, which has forbidden you so plainly to swear and let your yea be yea and nay be nay, as was commanded. Whether life or death be your lot in order that you by your courage and firm truthfulness may admonish and reprove others. The Slytheim Confession forbidden taking an oath. George Fox, the uncompromising founder of the Quakers, he said this, and I'm quoting here, 
You have given me a book here to kiss and to swear on. And this book which you have given me to kiss says, kiss the son. And the son says, in this book, swear not at all. Now I say, as the book says, and yet you imprison me, how chance you do not imprison the book for saying so? And it's because of George Fox's courage that you don't have to lay your hand on the Bible in a court of law. You can just tell them you're telling the truth, and when you affirm that, you'll be okay. Now, what does James mean here? We don't have time to explore all the possibilities. It's a rabbit trail that you can chase in church history, and one of the reasons you need to study church history. Uh, But there is a minority position that contends James is saying no oaths at all following Jesus. What we do know for sure is that every careless word we will be held accountable for. Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37 tells us that. So how do we apply this to our lives? How do we look at this and say, let's be wise? To be truthful in our communication, we have to be careful in what we say. To be truthful in our communication, we have to be careful what we say. As a parent, I have learned this lesson. Well, this weekend, we're going to do something fun. And life happens, and things happen, and then the question comes, where's the fun? We're going to go to Six Flags, or we're going to go to Disney World. And life happens, and something occurs, and the question comes from the trusting child, where's Disney World? Wise in what we promise. So here's some things that I would say to you. We must not overpromise. I think this goes for work too. We underpromise and overdeliver. We seek to be truthful, even sometimes understating what we think we can accomplish, and then overdeliver. And perhaps you need this with your parents and grades as finals are approaching to say, I really think I'm going to end up here, and you overdeliver, and there's an excitement that comes with it. We should not make promises we can't keep, promises that are outside of our power. We must be wise in the words we say. We should avoid trying to show someone up with prideful, arrogant communication. This is how it happens. We exaggerate our story so that they'll be more funny, so that more people will laugh about us, and that exaggeration quickly turns into lying. And next thing you know, we're telling a story that we know is truly not accurate because we're leading others into the laughter or into the believing that you're better than what you really are. And that is prideful communication that exalts self rather than exalting God. We should learn to be silent sometimes. Now, for you introverts out there, you're saying amen. For you extroverts out there, you're saying, oh, me. I don't want to be quiet. I live in a house with introverts and extroverts. It's easy to tell which one's which if you spend enough time at my house. You have to learn at times to be quiet. Just don't say anything. Don't speak. We should, as workers, meet deadlines, have integrity in the hours we work and the reports we give, and if we don't meet a deadline that we said we would meet, we should apologize for not keeping our word and meeting that deadline. Imagine the pleasure of a boss when you say, I'm going to try to accomplish something, you can't accomplish it, and you come to him, you say, I'm really sorry, I did all I could, I should not have promised that, I couldn't deliver it, I apologize for not being completely honest in my communication with you, and I will get this done over the weekend, you'll have it on your desk Monday morning. To an employer who has an employee with that desire to do things that are well, to be completely honest and trustworthy, even though you may not have accomplished something, and that's not good, 
you went up in the employer's eyes because you were honest, you had integrity, you were trying to take a stand. That's a difference that the world just doesn't bear. And as Christians, we should have that integrity to be straightforward and honest. I think about a book that applies to you. How to Read a Book by Mortimer, Mortimer Adler. He says this, long quote for you, but I think it's important. The question, is it true, can be asked of anything we read. Is it applicable to every kind of writing? No higher condemnation can be given of any work of the human mind than to praise it for the measure of truth it has achieved. By the same token, to criticize it adversely for its failure in this respect is to treat it with seriousness that a serious work deserves. Yet strangely enough, in recent years, for the first time in Western history, there is a dwindling concern with this criterion of excellence. Books win the plaudits of the critics and gain widespread popular attention, almost to the extent that they flout the truth. The more outrageously they do so, the better. And to our mind comes every major blog and news outlet with shock stories and gotcha headlines. May we not be those type writers. May we not be those type journalists that seek the headline for the headline's credit rather than seeking the truth for the credit of God. I put this out on Facebook. I, I do this frequently just to get feedback and just to have application because you, you guys think of things I don't think of sometimes. I had more comments on this particular Facebook than any other Facebook post I've done in, in this way. Think about some ways in common culture. We, we pinky swear. We swear on our mother's grave. When we tell a lie, we say, oh, but I have my fingers crossed. Oh, I was just kidding. I didn't really mean that. Think about the most common lies. And there's one that I think probably all of us have committed. How many of you out here have told a lie? I'm waiting for every hand to go up. I'm just looking. Okay. How many of you have ever checked the box that says, I have read and agree to these terms? It's like 100 pages. I'm not reading it. I, I want to just email back to them and say, I have not read, but I still agree, and I don't really care. So give me my download and let me move on, all right? <laughs> I want to be honest, but you're trying to force me to lie here. You meet somebody. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. No, you're not. Perhaps we should say, I'm better than I deserve to be. That's accurate. doesn't beckon the question of all the other things that I'm not fine might grant you. Your weight, we can check your driver's license. We have scales. Maybe you're not quite there yet. Give it a few years. Your age, give it a few years. Income, finances, tax returns. The level of salary at your first job. Dating profiles. Now remember, this was on my Facebook from other people, not me, all right? How much we spend on something because we all want to get the best deal. Past stories, accomplishments, a.k.a. the glory days. Selling things like a used car, but I'm really only going to tell them part of the story because if I tell them all of the story, they might not buy the car or pay as much as I want them to pay for it. Addictions, sex, pornography, drugs. Bragging about past things you've done in your own sinfulness. Why an assignment is late or why you're late to class. I was praying and got carried away. I'm sorry, professor, it won't happen to me. <laughs> the dog ate my homework. Sure, you don't have a dog. 
Your spiritual life, how often you have quiet times, how often you pray, how often you memorize scripture. A customer who looks at the salesman that's too pushy and says, I'll be back. No, you won't. Your spiritual life, I've already given you that one. A busy Friday night. Yes, this guy who goes up to the girl. Do you want to go to Chuck's or maybe to Renova and get something to eat and hang out for a little while? No, I'm busy Friday night. What do you have to do Friday night? I don't know. Wash my hair. I mean, I don't, you know. <laughs> yep, you have been friend zoned. Yep, it's over. As kids, we lie not to get in trouble. Some things never change. An apology when we really don't mean it. I'm sorry, but you're not. Accepting an apology when we really don't mean it. Your apology is accepted, but I'm not going to forget about this or forgive you. I love you when really you only love yourself and you want to use those words to get what you want. Flossing. which we all do the night before we go to the dentist. And then we go to the dentist and the dentist says, have you been flossing? And we say, yes, I did last night. (laughs) Yeah. I'll pray for you when we have no intention of praying for them. You know, on that one, maybe it's best to say, I'll pray for you. Or maybe it's best just to say, let's stop and pray right now. Maybe you don't have to be untruthful in a spiritual way. Saying you've seen a movie that you haven't, read a book that you haven't, Or saying, yes, I know exactly what you mean, when all you really want to say is, stop talking to me about this, I'm bored already. (laughs) Priorities. We often even lie to ourselves. It's a struggle for us all. James tells us, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Mark Twain tells us, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. (laughs) What a tangled web we weave when at first we do deceive. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19 says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Proverbs 12, says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Ephesians 4, 25 says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. John 8, says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Brothers and sisters, today, perhaps we need to confess to one another and to God, and perhaps we need to commit that we will do better in this struggle against our sinful nature, which tempts us to lie. Let's be misfits in this world. Let's be so honest that we are strange to the common culture. Let's let our yes be yes and our no be no so that we are not condemned or found guilty. God, we need your grace and we need your mercy. Lord, we feel the weight of James's commands to us, and we know that without the mercy and grace of the cross, without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the power of your word, that, Lord, we have no hope. So today, help us to lean into Christ, to lean into the word, 
to confess our sins before you, to confess our sins to others, and to live lives that are truthful and honest for your glory and not for our own. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.